You're listening to Solar Insiders, the fortnightly podcast that shines the light on the world's biggest energy source. Solar Insiders is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy, and Sophie Voroth, the editor of One Step Off the Grid. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Pylon, helping solar installers and retailers design high-resolution solar proposals in minutes. And Nextracker, delivering the most advanced solar tracking technology and the highest performing solar assets in the country. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, along with its associated websites, One Step Off the Grid and the EV Focused the Driven. And joining me, as usual, is uh, One Step Editor Sophie Verath. And um, who's also the Deputy Editor of Renew Economy. Sophie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. You have been out on a country trip. Where did you go and why? (laughs) I I went to the historical township of Malden. You have to say it that way. Um, It's a beautiful, beautiful little town um, in the Victorian goldfields, about two hours drive out of Melbourne. And I went there because they have won, well, the the network has won, some grant funding from the federal government to put in a community battery in this uh, cute little town, which um, sort of sounds odd, but it's actually important because they have a lot of solar there. And um, so it's going to sort of stabilise the network a bit more, allow a bit more solar and also allow people to share it. So, yeah, we went there to sort of chat to them and hear from them about... um, what they're doing. Okay, well, let's have a listen. Now, you've interviewed, is it... Um, um... Paul, uh, it's not Paul, it's Greg. It's Greg Hannon from City Power, Power Core and Energy, United Energy. Okay, let's, ha- let's yes. have a listen to that interview with Sophie with Greg Hannon from City Core, Power Core and United Energy. I'm sitting at the Malden Community Hall with Greg Hannon, who is from City Power, Power Core and United Energy. Um, what I might get you to do first, Greg, is just tell me a bit about your networks. Yeah, thanks, Sophia. It's great to be here. Thanks for your interest. Um, yeah, so we we run uh, three of Victoria's distribution networks with about two million customers, and in Powerpool, where we are today, we cover almost half the state by geography in the west, and we also have the CBD network of City Power, and our United Energy network goes around from the eastern suburbs to the Mornington Peninsula. So. Yeah, quite a, almost half the state by geography. Yeah. <laughs> Two million people, I think. Two million customers. Yeah, time. yeah, yeah. Um, but we're here in the historic township of Malden, which is a very small, beautiful town in, in regional Victoria because you guys are, have announced that you're going to install a community battery here. That's right, yeah. We were awarded 500000 from the federal government and uh, um, we just announced that this morning with Lisa Chess's um, MP. And we're going to, um, yeah, in the next two years, build a community battery um, in this in this community, which will help um, support re- local renewable energy and also help support the network as well. So, why this community? Why 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 this community get, gets a battery? Is it uh, it has a higher solar uptake? I'm I'm told. Yeah, that's right. So um, across our power core network, about one in four customers have solar on their rooftops, and in in Melbourne, it's actually stronger than that. So it's almost four out of ten. Um, wow. But the federal government committed to over 50 projects um, as part of their broader commitment to 400 batteries. And Malden was one of those communities and we, we, we submitted an application was successful. Yeah. So that's um, why we're here today. And am I right in saying this is your first regional battery? That's right. Yeah. Yes. So, and 
what's involved for you guys when you, you decide to put a battery somewhere like this um, and it's, it's going to be distribution DNSP owned? That's right. Um, what happens, how do you go about organising that? Is there yeah. a lot of community engagement? Absolutely. So we've been on this journey, I guess, for really maybe two and a half years, maybe nearly three years. And you know, what we've learned is that some of the things that are really important for these projects are available land, having community support, um, having the asset such that um, it's in a place that's um, you know, acceptable to the community and close to existing infrastructure. So they're the kind of the key ingredients. And we, we think that's really important to, to factor that in right at the start. Um, we pick your battery location, and um, you know we we have been really pleased this morning to see some really good um, community support, and uh, we'll look to work with the community as we develop the project as well. Yeah, and did did you guys come to the community with this idea? Did they come to you? How did it initiate? This one was more. It was um, the community. I think had been speaking to the um, members of parliament and. Uh, there's a bit of a, a groundswell for more renewable projects, and as a result of that, it was announced that the Melbourne would get a battery, and then um, once the funding rounds opened, we were able to um, work within that and, and, and um, put forward an application that we thought would be successful, and it was, so it would yeah. have been great. Now, I want to go back to something that was said at the launch. Um, somebody mentioned that I think the first solar installation here was on the community centre, which I think is where we are now, the community house. That's right. Um, and at that time, the the installer said, oh, this might be the only solar you can put here. I mean, it was a long time ago. Mm. Um, and you mentioned things have changed a lot since then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, talk to me about what a distribution network looks like for you guys now compared to how it looked, you know, 10, 20 years yeah. ago. Well, the, the, the cliche is that, you know, the networks used to be one way and now they're two way. And it's easy to say, but what that means is that people and customers now not only rely on us for safe, affordable um, and reliable energy for their homes and businesses, but increasingly they bring their own solar panels to the network and expect to be able to connect and export. So yep. what we're seeing is, um, you know, over the last really five to ten years, really strong growth in rooftop solar. And so we have been working in with the community here and across our network to enable that renewable generation. Mm. Because we, our view is that if we can do that, we're playing our part in that transition. Yep. Um, and we're also helping customers do what they want to do. Um, and, you know, your comment about the, you know, the, the original installation just shows how far things have come because um, right as of today, um, well, basically, you know, well over 90% of customers are, are being able to put in rooftop solar yep. without any um, constraints. Mm -hmm. And, you know, batteries are another thing where we see they're going to help um, allow more customers to have solar. And because they're going to be close to this distributed generation, they're going to play a key role to enable um, more generation onto the grid as well. Yep. And you think that um, people in the community understand that and they, they want to enable that, do you think? Or do you think there's sort of a key handful of people that are very involved? I think, I think like any community, there's a you know, number of people who are really um, passionate and really in, into the detail on these topics. But you know, my observation in the work I've done is that communities in general are very focused on their own local renewable energy plans and climate yep. plans. And we're seeing that come to the fore with a lot of councils and communities coming to us saying we would like to work with you. Yep. And we've embraced that and um, we're you know, providing more advice and, and information. And just in relation to community batteries, we published a report called Powerful Neighbours um, in 2021, I think it was. Um, and we work with um, local community groups to, you know, as a bit of a how-to guide on how to approach this. So yep. 
it's a bit of a mix, basically. Yeah. Um, I mean, as a net distribution companies, you know, you guys are really at the coal phase because you're between the grid and the households. And, you, you know, you, I mean, the, the transmission and the households, mm. you're in between parts. So if things go wrong at a local level, you're the ones there fixing it. If there are outages, you're the ones usually who are having to explain it. Um, That's right. But when it's come to community batteries, there's a little bit of a grey area, isn't there? We, it's not been clear who, who should install grid-side batteries, um, mm. who should install neighbourhood batteries, who should um, get the revenue from them, you know, how should they be regulated. It's been interesting with this government rollout of these community batteries, uh, of this, which this is one of them. This has had funding, hasn't it, this, this right. Molden battery. Um, as part of that, there was a, a, a waiver to some of the rules that have excluded networks from being involved in this kind of thing outside your core business, so so to speak. Um, yeah. So, it's it's um, talk to me a bit about that. Like this is, it's interesting because you're right there in all of this business and in Malden here, you undergrounded power lines recently as part of their um, heritage. Works trying, yeah. yeah, trying to keep the streetscape looking as it used to look, and um, so you are really working very closely with communities. So, what's the problem with you building community battery storage? Well, our fundamental view on storage, and I sort of I mentioned this at Australian Energy Week last week, is that you know we see a role for all forms of storage. Um, customers having storage in their own homes, these grid-side batteries, community batteries, and bigger batteries. So, we think that ultimately more storage is going to enable more renewable generation, yep. and so that's a good thing. Um, the other thing is that the batteries that we can put on our network or we can um, work with other parties to put on our network can play a role to um, support the network in the evening when, when the load is high and also soak up more renewable energy um, and then share that locally. But also it can, um, a retailer can actually um, take advantage of the battery and, and actually sell the, um, the storage into the wholesale market. So our view is that um, if we allow all those value streams to combine, that's ultimately going to lead to the lowest cost deployment for this type of storage. Mm -hmm. And fundamentally, we just think that we should be allowed to do that and where it makes sense for customers. So, yep. um, yeah, that, that's our basically our simplified position. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of discussion about the ring fencing treatment of these batteries. But because we're, they're a new technology, they can do um, different things um, at different times. Um, to get the most efficient use of them, we think that they should be able to be shared between networks and retailers and um, benefit customers and the wholesale market um, yep. in that way. And if communities want to build them themselves and finance them themselves, you know, you've worked with them before, like, for instance, in North Fitzroy. That's right. Um, yeah. You set up, help set up a battery there That's that right. is community-owned, is it, fully? Yeah, so yeah. we're supportive of a range of models. We, mm. we, um, we, we did work with Yarra Energy Foundation. They built their own community battery um, we're starting to work with retailers who are building batteries that we will lease from them for network support. Um, yeah. And so we see a range of models, um, and you know, including within that is distribution-owned batteries, where yeah. you know because we think that's a that's an important category that um, shouldn't be ruled out. And what does the economics look like for you guys? I mean, is it is it something that makes more sense than building more poles and wires or building, you know, traditional grid infrastructure that you might usually do? Is this, is this, are you now seeing this as a way that um, makes more sense than perhaps old approaches? We're certainly seeing that the, the batteries are much more flexible asset than, say, some of our traditional um, assets. Mm -hmm. 
and they can play a role, as I mentioned, to um, help manage the peak, but also improve power quality outcomes. So they're, they're a dynamic asset, which is a great thing. At the moment, you know, we're still relying on grants for projects like this, but what we're starting to see is the cost of batteries falling. And once you um, have done several trials, you can start the unit costs of adding more batteries um, you know, to your portfolio falls, and we're starting to see really strong interest from retailers to work with us as well. So yeah. I guess over time, we're starting to see that you know, batteries, as if costs continue to fall, performance is strong and there's demand you know from retailers to lease these batteries we're, we're starting to see a future where um you know they'll be viable without grants yeah so this ring fencing waiver is only until next year is that right i mean in for the 400 batteries but yeah. we um for our other battery project we've applied for and been successful in getting waivers yeah but you know the, the key the key message is that you know the, the grid is changing there's a need for more storage to support more renewable energy to ultimately achieve our net zero and renewable energy goals at a state and a national level. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the regulatory framework, I guess, should um, enable that, not, yep. not put up barriers where it doesn't make any sense. Now, just about 10 minutes ago, we were sitting in a cafe and you did a very exciting visual energy model of the grid, which was great. I wish people could have seen it. But so, what do you see the grid looking like, say in five to ten years' time, and what will the role of distribution companies like yours be? I mean, you've, as you said, traditionally it's been one-way power from mm. from all the way in Trove Valley or wherever, yeah. <laughs> across the transmission lines and then into your networks and to the houses. What what roles do you think distribution companies will play in the future, and, and how much more involved will consumers be? Yeah, so the, 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 for those listening who uh, couldn't see my um, uh, cafe model that I did for Sophie on the tabletop, um, you know, basically describing that linear model where it went from transmission to distribution to the customer in a very one-way sense. Um, you know, what's happening now is that the grid and the distributed energy system is evolving around the customer. So the customer is at the centre. They're obviously a consumer, but they're also bringing their own resources, such as um, batteries in some cases, solar panels in the future, electric vehicles. Um, new electric appliances, um, and so that, that's, that's the future that we're seeing that our customers want, and so we want to enable that, and we want to make sure that those two-way flows work for customers, um, in particular those who've got access to their own um, you know, di distributed resources and those who don't, so that you know, everyone, everyone continues to have their safe, affordable, reliable energy, but increasingly, um, if you've got an opportunity to have your own solar, that you can also play your role to get that energy onto the grid. Yep. And what about with the, you know, you mentioned electric vehicles, but, you know, there's sometimes a bit of doom saying about, you know, we won't cope when everyone has an electric vehicle and, you know, everyone gets home and plugs them in at night time or, you know, how do you, are your grids preparing for that? And, and yeah. is it going to be a lot more about the smart management of that and, 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 yeah. and that's also about engaging with consumers? How do you think that will be? Yeah, that's right. So if we look back, over, say, 10 years ago, you know, we've worked with the industry and governments about, you know, supporting greater and greater levels of solar rollout. And I guess one of the key lessons there is that, you know, even though by international standards, EV levels are quite low in Australia and Victoria, you know, we expect that to increase. And so yep. we're starting to think now about what needs to happen in terms of, you know, connections, um, uh, integration, um, planning standards, so that in the future, when there are greater levels that, you know, we can play a role to enable, um, you know, customers with their own electric vehicles as well. And if you think about batteries, you know, there's also a potential where the, 
the battery in the car can play a role in the same way that a community battery yeah. can play a role today. And, um, you know, it's a lot of, lot of things to work through, but that, that's um, a potential that we're seeing and uh, we'll work, you know, now to try and work out what are the standards and um, settings and, and give policy advice to the governments and regulators to, to support that, yeah. that transition. There was mention before of a battery that you guys are also doing or oh, part of um, installing in Flinders in the Mornington Peninsula, which also has an electric car charger. Do you know anything much about uh, that? I think that's one where um, it's being led by a community group. Oh, and yeah, so they're, the Yarra Energy. Yeah, and I think it's... Um, I forget the name of the group, but, um, but it's the Flinders... Um, renewable energy group and uh-huh. so they've come to us and they've got a proposal and yeah. you know we're supportive of that and we're seeing yeah. that and um so are you often the first people that these communities come to or the councils or is are you yeah, often the first we, we encourage people to come to us and talk yeah. to us about connecting because yeah. fundamentally we connect people um and it doesn't matter if you want to connect a home business or a battery yeah come and talk to us we've actually got dedicated teams now to help yep. um streamline the process and, and we've been working on that over the last couple of years and um, yeah, we're starting to, to, to see this increase and we, we don't see that changing. What about, just finally, solar curtailment? Um, I know that that's one of the reasons why we're installing neighbourhood batteries, just to avoid people not being able to send their rooftop solar onto the grid um, to the levels that they might be able to. Um, and, in the, you know, I know that South Australia had some trouble with this and often they're limited to about five kilowatts. Is that right? Or... Well, I mean, in, in places where you have really high concentration yeah. of solar panels, you, you can run into some challenges where potentially the next person who applies, um, you know, won't be able to export. So, yep. But what we've done proactively is um, um, commit to a program of targeted investments to, to really um, improve solar enablement across our network, yep. particularly in the areas where, you know, some of the penetration levels have been the greatest. So places like the western suburbs of Melbourne, Geelong, um, even here in Malden, you know, I mentioned yeah. earlier... Um, I think a few years ago there were some challenges there, but you know, well over 90% of customers now are able to um, install solar without any export constraints. And then I think you, you touched on as well earlier that what we're starting to see is this much more dynamic um, energy system. So um, you know, we describe ourselves these days as a distribution system operator. Mm-hmm. And so in order to facilitate that two-way flow, you know, we're, we're starting to see... Uh, new systems come into place to, to enable all of it and make it all work seamlessly for the customer. So um, I guess we've, we've, we've had the benefit of also looking to how it's worked in South Australia and we're mm. working closely with um, Sappen, who's our, the distributor in South Australia. Yeah. And just, so one final question I said kindly before. Um, what can DNSPs bring to the table that other groups can't? Like, you know, we've, we've had a lot, there's been a lot of controversy about some of the transmission plans for Australia, big, huge projects that um, are having trouble getting social licence and, you know, on the one hand, are considered critical infrastructure by AEMO. And on the other hand, we have to work out how do we do this without putting, upsetting so many people and without, you know, destroying the environment, that kind of thing. What, what can DNSPs do with communities um, and, and how can they engage in a way that is different from other groups? You know, what, how, what experience do you have that is, is really unique? Yeah, and I think it goes to you know, how we're described. So we've, we've spoken a lot today about the distributed future and the distributed energy system. So as a distributor, and it's just distribution business, you know, it's in our DNA. So we yeah. have assets distributed all across Victoria 
And so what that means is we do have existing sites where we could put batteries, for example. Yep. Um, and so like all these projects, we, we know that getting access to land, getting access to um, um, convenient connection points, getting access to places where there's already good community support, that they're all the things that we have to do in, in any case. And so we've got zone substations all around the, the state. Um, there's a potential for some larger batteries to go in on those locations. Um, where there's already land that we own or we've got land adjoining potentially some of our sites. Um, so, so there's some of the opportunities that we're exploring and talking about. So it's complementary to the other projects you mentioned. Yep. And um, one, one of the great things about um, this transition is that, you know, customers are all over our networks investing in their own generation. And so things like storage, if we can have it as close to those um, resources as possible, then that that enables more generation to come online and, yep. and um, effectively for our networks to host it. So, yeah, we, we, we see we've got a critical role to host um, renewable generation. And, um, you know, I spoke at Australian Energy Week where we've got over three gigawatts already across our three networks. And, you know, if you looked at all the distribution business across Victoria, it'd be probably a third by capacity of renewable generation being hosted by us. And, you know, we think that's going to grow in the future. So. Yeah, that's our, that's our sort of positive message about the role we can play and support the broader energy transition. Okay, well, congratulations on your first regional community battery and I look forward to being invited to the next one. Oh, and you <laughs> definitely have to come and come to the launch in the, within the next two years. Yes, thanks, absolutely. Sophie. All right, thanks so much, Greg. Cheers. Bye. And that was Greg Hannon. Um, from City Hall Power Core and United Energy. God, that's a mouthful, Sophie. It is a mouthful. Um, look, never have so many kilometres been driven for a battery so small and yet undelivered. But it's an interesting case. <laughs> it's an interesting... <laughs> look, anything to get out of Melbourne on a cold winter's day. But, um, um, but look, it is interesting, isn't it? So, you know, it's fascinating to hear, you know, those comments about, oh, well, this will be the last of the solar systems to go in and just the, the, the road that we've travelled from having just a couple of solar systems in a town or a village or in, in a, on, on a grid to understanding now that we can have so much more and yet more. Yes, and just, yeah, that, that's, and I think that's the big messages from the distribution companies and not just the three-pronged one that I will not say that name again, <laughs> um, is that, yes, we can, we can host more capacity and we want to host more capacity and, you know, I think installing these kind of batteries is one way that they can do that. And, yeah, it's, it is, it's, a, it's a long jump from when they put solar on the community hall and said, oh, that, that could be your lot. Um, so, you know, and it's funny, this, this little town is now sort of quite cutting edge because not only has it got this battery coming, um, it's a couple of years off yet, but um, it's got its power lines undergrounded in the, in the main strip um, for heritage reasons. Um, because it's this, it's still got in its main street the original shop fronts from when it was first established. So it's just in this gorgeous old town with not a power line in sight and all this solar, 37% penetration, which is quite something. Um, it's like, a, I think, 10% above the state average um, or the average on, on, on um, power cords network mm. anyway. Um, yeah, so it's just it's it's really interesting juxtaposition, and it's it goes to show that some of the bleeding edge stuff happens in these funny parts of the grid that 
um, really test it out for the rest of us. Well, that's interesting. And look, I mean, community batteries, or some people prefer to call them neighbourhood batteries, um, because they're not mm. really community owned. Mostly, they're going to be owned by the networks, and that's no. look, I guess that's one controversy. Um, but they're kind of going up everywhere. I think uh, this week, Jemina um, also announced a bunch of um, community or neighbourhood batteries uh, in the north of Melbourne. Uh, Western Australia is adding another one or several as part of its Project Symphony, all of which are designed to help accommodate ever more rooftop solar. And, um, and Western Australia is really interesting too because they've just announced even bigger batteries like you know, you know some of the world's biggest, like two gigawatt hours, um, to try and address the, uh, the, the solar duck curve, which is caused by rooftop solar basically eating away demand to the point where the market operator finds it difficult to operate the grid. And I guess what we should be thinking of and what we are thinking of now is rather than actually look for reasons to curtail rooftop solar, we should actually look for ways um, to stick it in a box. And having neighbourhood batteries or very large batteries is something that we can do over and above household batteries and, of course, electric vehicles when they prosper even more. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's something that they've had to think of for a while now and, you know, we might say that it's a bit been a bit slow <laughs> to to get to this realization uh but it's happening now and yeah it's about it's, you know it's almost like putting aside the leftovers of a meal and then making sure you eat them <laughs> another time you don't want to waste it and you don't want to waste this solar and you don't want to use the big solar switch off button if you can help it which wa and south australia both have now uh it's about finding much smarter ways to optimize solar and to hopefully make that um pay off for consumers and that, i think that's the part that that sort of worries people when the monopoly companies are in charge you know how do we make sure this where exactly where on the bill does this uh come through for the consumers which part of the bill does it come off you know it, that's the the question we need to probably well, ask. exactly, but 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 of course the utilities are always very much focused on the consumer, Sophie. So um, rest assured that they have their. Um, their but <laughs> of course, yes, yes. Um, anyone who's just received notice of a bill upgrade in the last couple of weeks um, will um, wonder about that cl particular claim. Um, Particularly in yes. South Australia, where I think we've seen peak pricing going up to about eighty cents a kilowatt hour or something like that, and um, a lot of people. Yes, and didn't Synergy just get nabbed in WA? Oh yeah, well that's right. Yes, for uh, sort of um, 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 yes, yeah, sort of incorrectly pricing their uh, gas uh, cost of gas generation. So forcing up Oops. the wholesale prices, which of course then feed into the domestic um, retail prices. But um, oh gosh, mm. terrible accident. Um, mm. Yes, um, which is probably another topic. Um, it makes you do. It does make you wonder though whether sort of having state-owned utilities really is a solution um, to um, you know this whole debate between sort of privatisation and nationalisation. I think as soon as you set KPIs mm. in front of any particular executive, then things are going to get skewed towards the short term and. Make Maximising profits. Enough. Now, what else do we have um, hanging around? I did notice a clean energy regulator update, a quarterly update, um, talking about rooftop solar. Probably nothing particularly new to the people in the solar industry, but just sort of reaffirming their forecast for 2023. 
that um, will get above three gigawatts. We won't beat last year. Uh, I think we had a bit of a slow start to the year, if I remember rightly, but um, things are picking we up. Did a bit up and yeah, down. well, things are picking up thanks to those um, price rises. So um, definitely heading towards three gigawatts, and also just sort of picking up on the theme that you've written before. I think sort of um, um, sort of sourcing um, Sunwears, just about the sort of the growth in heat pumps uh, in Victoria, yes. and in, interestingly, New South Wales as well. Um, your turn. Have you got any other sort of um, solar industry news? Yes, well, I think probably one of the really interesting things that happened was um, news on the on the you know this the front for solar for people who can't usually access the market, um, and that's um, solar for apartments. And now I'm trying to think of which region we're in. I think we're in New South Wales, actually. But um, yeah, so it was definitely an effort to sort of um, to make it easier for renters or maybe sort of um, 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 sort of money being being assigned to sort of um, for rental households to, to get better access that, for solar. Yes, for, for body corporates, yeah. that's right. For um, Yes, because I think the problem with that is it becomes complicated and it also becomes more costly because you need to you definitely need to invest in different kind of technology that will help you share the solar and, and battery storage if there's that too. And there is that around we, that's, you know, available, but it certainly would make the whole affair more expensive to start yeah. with. So, yes, they're offering um, specific rebates for that, which is fantastic because and it's sort of um, I think they've sort of taken the focus away from from. No, this was in the ACT, I think. Oh, yes, yes it is too. Yes, yeah. Sorry. So, and it was a little bit controversial because people felt that they've they've taken it away from. So it's part of their their sort of solar the home energy upgrade scheme, and they've decided to focus all of the funding that they're going to give to to subsidise solar rooftop solar just to the people who quote unquote really need it the most. Um, That's and not a bad idea. Not a bad idea at all, and you'd think I think that's kind of what governments are there for, and um, yeah, so they've decided that they'll, in this instance, the people who need it the most are the apartments. And I, I don't, I'm not hugely familiar with Canberra, but you are, Giles. Apparently, there's quite a lot of apartments, and they've built quite a lot of them recently. And and as they said in this in this release, it won't be the sort of fancy, high end ones around you know, the nation's capital around the Parliament House, but it'll be that the sort of outer suburban ones. Um, yeah. yeah. So basically some of these people who, you know, traditionally cannot access solar will be able to, it will incentivise bodies corporate to, to, make that investment, make that step, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, no, it is very good and probably what should have been done in other um, um, places much before this. Um, yeah. Look, let's just, um, we're probably reaching the end of time for this particular podcast. There's been a couple of things with um, solar companies. I think Longy's come up with a new sort of efficiency record, sort of 33 point something percent, which I think is interesting. And Q-cells, Q yep. what, what Q-cells, like a price raise on, on, on solar or something? Yeah, Q-cells entered the retail market in Australia last year when they set up a little entity called ArcStream, which is has the retail licence through a, another company called Electricity in a Box. And they came out basically offering people who who have s solar and a Q-cells battery, so the, the 
kicker is you have to have a QCells battery and you either have one already or you get one. Um, and they're also off of finance for a solar system and, and the battery, um, which is pretty competitive. But for the for the retail side of the offer, they offer this sort of plan, you know, where it's a set price um, depending on, you know, your household's needs and the size of your solar and battery, which sort of it's a bit complicated, but you can see it all on the website. Um, but, yeah, they've basically come out and said that they have are freezing these plans for their customers um, ahead of the price hike that so everyone else is expecting come July um, that, that was forecast by the regulator and has since been confirmed that most retailers are going to pass it on. Um, and, you know, I think it's a good message um, and it's probably a nice bit of confidence. I'm not sure how many customers they have and I'm also not sure how affected they are by grid prices if they've, you know, got an average of six kilowatts of solar and an equivalent battery storage. But, you know, it is a good message that they're saying, you know, we, we've got you onto this plan, um, we've got your back, you know, we're not going to put up the prices. So, Well, that's kind of on the basis of what this whole renewable strip was um, sold on, basically. It's going to end up being cheaper, it so um, yes. it's about time it yeah. was. <laughs> it would be very disappointing if they did put up their prices, um, I think, yeah. But it's just interesting because it's a tough time for the retailers and, I'm, you know, I'm not saying that in a way where we should all be shedding a tear for them or anything, but, you know, there are some that have come out and tried to innovate and have, have fallen by the wayside. Yes, yeah. And, and um, I think electricity in a box was one that has not failed, but it did definitely did say we can't take any more customers um, in this environment, which was a message that quite a few put out when they started sort of, I think, getting in a bit of distress. So yeah, it's, it is interesting. Um, and it's good to see that there's still these different offers coming out and that there's these non-traditional people entering the retail market and giving options. So if you're sick of your particular energy retailer, have a look around and see some of the smaller players and um, see what they're offering. Sophie, thank you very much for taking us out to um, central, the old goldfields in Victoria. It looks as a fascinating little journey and fascinating interview um, with Greg Hamlin from um, City Corp and Power Corp and United Energy. We'll say that one more time. Um, <laughs> and uh, look, hopefully there'll be some more road trips um, coming in the future. So look, um, thank you very much for that. Was my absolute pleasure. Okay, now we'll be back um, in a fortnight's time for another episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. Do check out the weekly Energy Insiders podcast. Um, the latest episode will be coming out later this week, and of course, the Driven podcast as well, focusing on EVs. Um, my name is Giles Parkinson, and that's all for this week. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Pylon. Pylon provides easy-to-use solar design software for installers and retailers with pay-as-you-go pricing, no monthly costs and no locking contracts. Join Australia's top solar companies who trust Pylon to design high-resolution, CEC-ready solar proposals. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by Nextracker, delivering some of the highest-performing solar assets in the country. Like a sunflower follows the sun, Nextracker's market-leading solar solutions deliver optimal return on investment for utility solar farms in Australia. Check out their flagship NX Horizon Smart Solar Tracker, their intelligent optimization software, and the industry's most advanced terrain-following solar tracking technology, NX Horizon XTR.